Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Good morning. Breaking news playing with fire. Overnight, a dangerous blaze breaks out at Europe's largest nuclear plant after being seized by Russian forces. Ukraine's president warning the world of another Chernobyl as Russia tightens its grip in key regions. And a U.S. senator makes a controversial call for Russians to assassinate Vladimir Putin. The latest straight ahead. NBC News exclusive William Barr, the attorney general under former President Trump, in his first television interview since resigning, saying he confronted the president about his election lies. I told him that all this stuff was bull****, you know, it was wrong to be shoveling it out the way his team was. Just ahead, what Barr is saying now about the former president and January 6th and Trump's fiery response in a letter to NBC News. A family's pain, the parents of a star soccer player at Stanford University speaking out for the first time since she took her own life. We are struggling to know, you know, what happened and why it happened, you know. We're just like heartbroken. Just to have their emotional message about mental health, they want all parents to hear and how they're honoring their daughter. Web of lies, a strange twist in an infamous abduction case that captured worldwide attention. A California mother arrested and charged for faking her own kidnapping five years ago. This morning, how police finally unraveled the mystery. Those stories, plus Special K, the epic farewell this weekend for Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K's final home game. Ticket prices skyrocketing as fans line up to bid a duke to the basketball legend. Today, Friday, March 4th, 2022. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to today. It is good to have you with us on a Friday morning. I bet those tickets are selling fast. You think about Coach K, uh, 42 years there. It's going to be an epic night on Saturday. It it's really gonna, yeah. is hard to imagine Duke yeah. basketball without mm -hmm. him. Uh, they'll be retiring his jersey. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to start, of course, this morning with the news and a terrible headline to wake up to. Europe's largest nuclear plant, which is located inside Ukraine, taking on heavy shelling from Russian forces, sparking a fire and causing major concerns overnight over radiation leaks. Now that fire is out now. One official warned as it was burning, if it blew up, it would be 10 times larger than Chernobyl. It comes as Russian troops are now advancing on several fronts in Ukraine, gaining ground in the Northeast and the South. And of course, the main goal, to capture the capital city of Kiev. Uh, meantime, here in the U.S., the war in Ukraine is having a direct effect on gas prices. Experts saying we could see $5 a gallon within weeks. The average price today, $3.84 per gallon. That's up about 40 cents in just a week and more than a dollar in a year. We've got all angles covered this morning, including a first-hand mm. look at the increasing refugee crisis in Ukraine. But we'll start with NBC's Richard Engel, who's in Kiev for us. Richard, good morning. 
Good morning. I am now at Kiev's main train station, and people are here trying to get on any train out of this city, any train that is heading west. There is considerable confusion here. People don't know exactly when the trains are arriving, when they are departing. They are just following the announcements and then rushing toward the tracks. And now, of course, there is this concern about a nuclear catastrophe in this country after Russian forces took over that nuclear power plant. President Zelensky warning that if there there is an explosion at the plant. It could be worse than Chernobyl. Ukrainian officials say that Russian forces have taken the workers at the nuclear power plant hostage. The director of the power plant saying that they are now working under the invaders' guns. After a limping start, Russia's assault on Ukraine is picking up steam and is growing more destructive, carving a path through towns and cities. Grim pictures in Bordyanka and Chernihiv. And a nuclear scare this morning as Russian forces took over the outskirts of Zaporizhia and Europe's largest nuclear power plant after a fierce battle at the site. A training building nearby caught fire. The U.S. says the nuclear power plant itself wasn't damaged. No elevated radiation detected. This warning from President Zelensky overnight about the risks. If there is an explosion, that's the end for everyone, he said. It's the end for Europe, the evacuation of Europe. Yesterday, we joined a group of journalists taken down dark hallways in a government building in Kiev to meet Zelensky. He arrived without an entourage, carrying his own chair, looking relaxed and a little tired. He repeated his call for a no-fly zone, although so far the U.S. and Europe have refused, saying it could get them in a direct fight with Russia. Vladimir Putin has so far not been willing to meet with him. Do you have a message for him now that Ukrainian cities are under attack, this city is under attack, a convoy is on its way here? Is there a way to prevent this war from escalating even further now. It's not about I want to talk with Putin. I think I have to talk with Putin. The world has to talk with Putin because there are no other ways to stop this war. That's why I have to. In Kiev's main children's hospital, they're evacuating more patients to the basements and out of the country. Are you trying to evacuate all of the cancer patients here who are stable enough to move? Yes, if they're stable, we try to uh, take them uh, abroad and to evacuate them. But uh, if they're not stable, it's very, it may be harmful for them and uh, not uh, so um, safe. In the basement, patients are safe for now, but treatments are disrupted. Oleksandr has been waiting on tests for possible blood cancer. He has pain when he moves, but is following the news of the war outside. Our soldiers are doing great, he says, adding what is now the national motto here, glory to Ukraine. Here on the platforms, we've been watching families say very heartfelt and tearful goodbyes. Many of the men have chosen to stay behind in this country to fight against the Russians. All right, Richard, thank you very much. Also this morning, top Republican Senator Lindsey Graham is courting controversy for encouraging Russians to, quote, step up to the plate and assassinate Vladimir Putin. NBC senior Washington correspondent Hallie Jackson joins us with more on this story. Hey, Hallie, good morning. Hey, Hoda, good morning to you. This is a kind of political curveball at this extremely precarious moment with Russia and Vladimir Putin. Senator Lindsey Graham overnight, as the situation at that nuclear plant was escalating, calling on someone in Russia to, in his words, 
take out Putin. Listen. Is there Brutus in Russia? The only way this ends, my friend, is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. Graham's spokesperson noted that the senator also expressed he was okay with a coup to remove Putin, but the senator's comments are being interpreted by some as a call for the assassination of the Russian leader, including fellow Republican Senator Ted Cruz, who now is calling this an exceptionally bad idea. And then new this morning, just in the last couple minutes, we've gotten a response from Putin's press secretary calling this a hysterical escalation of Russophobia, saying, quote, these days, not everyone manages to maintain sobriety, I would even say sanity and many lose their minds. Again, a quote from Putin's press secretary. All of this likely to fuel concerns this could become a talking point for Putin. Keep in mind, he's publicly been on defense as most of the rest of the world praises Ukraine's resistance. So his team has been eager to frame this invasion as American persecution of Putin. Hoda. All right, Hallie Jackson for us here in Washington. Hallie, thank you. In the meantime, as Richard had mentioned, the violence in Ukraine is taking an immeasurable toll on its citizens who have watched as parts of their country are destroyed by Russian attacks. More than a million people have already fled in search of safety. Millions more expected to do the same. NBC's Tom Yamas is covering that part of the story for us. He's in western Ukraine. Tom, good morning. <laughs> Hey, Savannah, good morning to you. This morning, we are at a school in Lviv that has taken in 80 children from the war zone in the east. The staff at the school says these ch children all came here with stories of their towns being attacked, scared, nervous, obviously on edge. But these children you see here may be in the worst possible position because they're orphans. They do not have family. They are in limbo right now. They are being taken care of. They're being fed. But like everyone else in Ukraine at this moment, no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. With Russia's invasion now entering a second week, the damage in war-torn cities across Ukraine is mounting by the day. Images from before and after. These areas were attacked by Russian forces, a chilling reminder of what over a million refugees are running from. Kyiv every hour was more dangerous than before. Every day is worse than previous. Now, Russia and Ukraine have agreed to create humanitarian corridors to safely evacuate citizens, as an unaccountable number of families are packing up as much of their lives as they can in suitcases and bags. Many making their way to an overwhelmed border. This crowd seen trying to push past security gates to enter Poland. Still, the most critical artery in and out of the country has been the railways. The war not halting its nonstop service. You know, in the peaceful world, we are the backbone of economy. In the wartime, we're the backbone of security. Alexander Kamishin is the man running the entire Ukraine rail system. In many ways, it's what Ukrainians have relied on for food, medicine, and of course, an escape. I am breaking apart. I have to take my son to a safer place. Thousands have waited here at Lviv's main train station for days. Those lucky enough to make it on board find themselves crushed in train cars for a journey that is becoming more dangerous. These new images show rail bridges blown up, tracks crippled, even a missile just steps from the rail lines. Can you promise them that you will try to get them out no matter what, you will keep the trains running? We will run the trains until the last person we can evacuate from central, east and west of Ukraine and south of Ukraine. But as this mass exodus is likely the beginning, the UN now says more than 10 million Ukrainians may end up fleeing their homes. And amid so much uncertainty, an emotional symbol of hope. 
friends from the same Ukrainian village finally reunited in Germany after abandoning their home, torn apart by war. So we're back out live at the school that is housing these orphans from the east. The staff here tells me that when they pulled up with the buses filled with children, everyone in the neighborhood came out, started donating clothes, started donating their time, taking care of these kids. Again, they are being fed, they're being taken care of. This little boy right here is Demetrius. He's eight years old. I asked him if he had any message for America, and clearly, you know, what's happening here in this country has not hit him yet. He says that all he wants is a family right now. Hoda, back to you. Oh, sweet Demetrius. Wow. Thank you, Tom. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sweet. Well, we'll move on now. Um, this morning, we're hearing from a man who stood at the center of so many of the firestorms that engulfed the Trump presidency, former Attorney General William Barr. NBC's Lester Holt sat down with Barr. He joins us now. Lester, good morning to you. Savannah Hoda, good morning to both of you. In his new memoir, One Damn Thing After Another, Barr opens up about the former president, criticism that he sometimes acted more as the former president's personal lawyer than an attorney general. And he addresses how their relationship came to an abrupt end. Take me back to that day, December 1st. You're in the SUV. Did you know you were going to end up in the Oval Office no, before the I, day was up? I assumed I, I was. Having attorney General of, Bill Barr knew he had infuriated the president. Since election night, Trump had been insisting he'd won. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. Barr knew that wasn't true. He'd even had the Justice Department investigate. Now, he was being summoned to the president's private dining room after saying in an interview with the AP that Trump's claims of election fraud were wrong. And I told him that all this stuff was bullshit and uh, about election fraud and uh you know it was wrong to be shoveling it out the way his team was and then he also told trump what he thought of his legal team not a lot i said the reason you are where you are is because you wheeled out a clown show of lawyers a clown show yeah clown car or something like that i said it's just a bunch of clowns who, and, uh, who are you referring to Rudy Giuliani. Cracker Jack legal team, among others. Barr says the president shot back, listing the ways he said Barr had failed him. That's when Barr says he offered up his resignation. I said, okay, well, look, I, I understand you're upset with me, and I'm perfectly happy to tender my resignation. And then, boom! He slaps the desk. He slapped the desk, and he said, accepted, accepted. And then, boom, he slapped it again, accepted. Go home. Don't go back to your office. Go home. You're done. When we asked the former president about this meeting, he disputed Barr's account and told us he was the one who demanded Barr's resignation. Either way, Barr handed in a resignation letter two weeks later and has not spoken with Donald Trump since. He does not want him to run for president again. Stop the steal! Stop the January 6th, the riot. Do you think that President Trump was responsible for what happened here ultimately? I do think he was responsible in the broad sense of, of that word and that it appears that part of the plan was to send this group up to the hill. I think the whole idea was to intimidate Congress and I think that that was wrong. 
In a three-page letter to NBC News, President Trump trashed Barr's book as fake and hurled personal insults at his former attorney general, calling him a coward, a big disappointment, and lazy. Among others. Um, Lester, I know you, you talked to Barr about why it is if he felt that this election lies were going on, he didn't speak out earlier. What did he have to say about yeah, that? Yeah, I challenged him about the events leading up to January 6th on, and whether he could have been more vocal uh, to really get the idea that these were false claims of election fraud. He says the theme was already baked in, uh, and he really blamed what he called the whack jobs, the people who were feeding the president some of this information. Mm. All right, well, Lester, we'll see you tonight on Nightly News. And that full interview airs Sunday night, 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on NBC. And the former attorney general will be our live guest, an exclusive interview Monday morning on today. All right, it is 16 minutes after the hour. Craig joins us now as we turn to an update in a story we've been following for a long time. Yeah, years. Hoda, Savannah, good morning. Good morning to you as well. A lot of folks will remember the case of Sherry Papini, a California mother who alleged she was kidnapped and found branded and chained along a highway more than five years ago. Well, now she's been arrested, charged with fraud, with investigators saying she faked all of it. NBC's Gotti Schwartz has covered this saga from day one. Gotti, what's the latest? Hey, good morning, Craig. Yeah, it was a match of DNA evidence from a piece of Sherry Papini's clothing uh, to a bottle from green tea uh, like this that was taken from her ex-boyfriend's trash can that might have solved this case. And when investigators confronted Papini's ex-boyfriend, he told them everything. It was a story that felt almost too bizarre to believe. A young mother seemingly kidnapped in broad daylight at gunpoint by two strange women, held for over three weeks, then still in chains, mysteriously released right before Thanksgiving dinner. At the time, her husband only speaking to ABC, telling them she was tortured. The bruises were just intense. The bumps from, you know, being hit and kicked and whatever else. But now investigators say Sherry Papini made the whole thing up, convincing an ex-boyfriend to take her to Southern California. And according to the criminal complaint, her ex-boyfriend said those injuries came from hitting herself to create bruises and burning herself on her arms. At one point, even allegedly asking her ex to give her a bruise by slapping a hockey puck at her, telling him, bank a puck off my leg, then telling him to go to Hobby Lobby to buy a wood-burning tool and brand her, which he did, telling investigators Papini never really complained about the pain. Investigators say the ex-boyfriend went along with Papini's requests because she convinced him she was being abused by her husband and thought he was helping a friend and drove her back to Northern California when she said she wanted to go home because she missed her kids. Investigators say when they spoke to others who knew Papini, they found a history of lies and deceit. Since her disappearance, she allegedly collected around $50,000 in a GoFundMe set up in her name and another $30,000 from a California victims fund. Investigators say when she was confronted with phone records, evidence, and her ex-boyfriend's confession, she continued to stick to her story about being kidnapped. Papini is now in jail, charged with lying to investigators and mail fraud, awaiting a judge to hear her case. Now, we've reached out to her husband as well as prosecutors, but no comments so far. And guys, one other unanswered question in all of this. According to the criminal complaint, investigators confronted Papini with all the evidence over a year and a half ago, but no word on why it's taken so long to bring those charges.
Yeah, that is curious. All right, Gotti Schwartz for us this morning. Gotti, thank you. All right, 719, let's get our first check of the weather, the yeah. weekend weather. That's right, and we got some storms coming across the country. We start off in California, West Coast, winter weather advisories, winter storm warnings as this system starts to bring finally some much-needed rain into California. Now, we're going to be watching this low pressure. Storm 1 tomorrow developing over the plains, moving into the east. Some snow, severe storms, snow and ice across the Midwest, and we've got the possibility of tornadoes from Rochester all the way down to Bethany, Davenport, Kansas City. The second storm comes out of Texas, bringing heavy rain ahead of it, but snow up to the north. Another round of storms is this time from Little Rock on into Batesville, Memphis, down Dallas. We're watching this system develop. Heavy rain stretching Saturday into Sunday with upwards of five inches from Fort Smith all the way to Cincinnati. Ice and a messy commute from Marquette, Duluth, Fargo, on into Bismarck, and snow through the Rockies upwards of 6 to 12 inches. Some of the mountains could be looking at 20 inches of snow before it's all over. And that's your latest weather. Guys. All right, Al, thank you. Uh, coming up, what we are now learning about the sudden death of a star soccer player taking her own life at Stanford University as her parents speak out to honor their daughter's legacy and help other families spot the signs of a loved one struggling with mental health. And then the spring break travel season has arrived. It's expected to be bigger and pricier than ever from flights to hotels to top destinations. What you need to know, but first, this is Today on NBC. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to today. Let's get a check of your headline 730 on Friday morning. The Florida Senate has passed a bill that would ban abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. The vote was along party lines. All Republicans voting in favor. Governor Ron DeSantis is expected to sign that measure into law. The U.S. Supreme Court has signaled it would uphold a similar 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi. A decision in that case, though, is expected later this year. There's some encouraging news this morning in the battle against the coronavirus. New data released by the CDC shows that more than 90% of the U.S. population lives in areas where masks are no longer needed. That's according to new guidance uh, centered on hospitalizations. Masks are still required on public transit and for air travel. Meantime, the NFL says it's suspending all COVID-19 protocols effective immediately. That means no more testing, no more masks, unless local laws require them. At least 10 people were taken to the hospital. Several others are still missing this morning after an explosion and fire at a Maryland apartment building. It happened in Silver Spring, uh, Maryland, just north of Washington, D.C. yesterday. Witnesses say they smelled natural gas shortly before the explosion. 
but officials are still investigating the cause of the blast. Meanwhile, the Red Cross is helping dozens of residents that were displaced by that fire. We have a lot more to get to, including the sudden death of a college student, and it has gripped the tight-knit world of women's mm -hmm. soccer. Katie Meyer, a promising star at Stanford University, was found dead in her dorm room earlier this week. And NBC's Stephanie Gosk talked to Meyer's parents who are opening up through their grief with the hopes of helping other families. Steph, good morning. Good morning, Craig. This is a tragic story that just gets more devastating by the moment. Katie's parents, Steve and Gina Meyer, revealing to today their daughter took her own life. They say they have since learned she was quietly struggling with her mental health, but they didn't see any signs as to just how bad it was. 22-year-old Katie Meyer was just months away from graduation with a bright future ahead. And I've never seen someone who's put so much heart and soul into so many different aspects of her life. The star goalie of the Stanford University women's soccer team was a natural leader with a big personality. And it only goes up from here. The California native was found dead in her dorm room on Tuesday. The soccer world stunned. She just lived life to the fullest always. We sat down with her parents, Steve and Gina Meyer, in the wake of the unthinkable. She died by suicide. The last, you know, couple days are like, a parent's worst nightmare, and you don't wake up from it. So Never. it's just horrific. The close-knit family spoke often. Their final conversation with their daughter was just hours before she took her own life. She was excited. She had a lot on her plate. She had a lot going on. But she was uh, she was happy. She was in great spirits. It was the uh, usual jovial yeah. Katie. Yeah. One constant can Her be parents say they believe she received an email regarding a disciplinary action and that she might have been in trouble. Katie being Katie um, was defending a teammate on campus over an incident and the repercussions of her defending that teammate. We have not seen that email yet. She had been getting letters for a couple months. This letter was kind of the final letter that there was going to be uh, a trial or a some kind of something. This is the only thing that we can come up with that, that triggered something. Her parents now wondering if between school and sports, it was too much pressure. There is anxiety and there is stress to be perfect, to be the best, to be number one. The Meyers speaking out to make sure other parents don't suffer the same tragedy. The emotions of their loss are raw. We're just, we're struggling right now, Stephanie. We are just struggling to know, you know, what happened and why it happened, you know? We're just like heartbroken. We're so heartbroken and I- Katie's mom wearing her daughter's sweatshirt, one she wore in a post just last Friday. It's gonna sound crazy, but every mom is gonna understand this, but when you smell it, it smells like her. It smells like Katie, <laughs> like, you know, just her scent. I'm wearing it because it just feels, I wanna be close to her. So yes, it is hers. The Meyer family has nothing, excuse me, but okay. praise for Stanford. Sorry. It's okay, speak us. They want to start a conversation about uh, opening up communication between schools and parents. Um, these parents feel they missed an opportunity to step in and possibly help. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no sorry is necessary. Nope. Thank right. you. Thank you. That is how Thank we you. all feel. Yeah. Um, and we will be right back. That's not an easy story to tell. Thank you.
We're back 739 on this Friday morning with in-depth today and this morning we're talking about the arrival of spring break. Yeah, you know what COVID cases they're dropping restrictions are being loosened and Americans eager to get away. NBC's Carrie Sanders in Cocoa Beach Florida oh. this morning with what to expect if you're planning some fun in the sun. Hi Carrie. Hey guys, Travel Palooza is upon us. Travel experts say we are going to see more people traveling this spring break than we have seen really in the last two pandemic years. And tourist communities like Cocoa Beach here are now bracing for impact. Big costs and bigger crowds. That's what experts say vacationers should expect on spring break this year as travel bookings hit levels not seen in years. There is so much pent up demand out there that people are ready to travel come heck or high water. A new survey finds more than half of Americans are planning a trip this spring with more than a third planning to travel during spring break specifically. That soaring demand means surging prices too. Uh, we're seeing prices now in places like Florida even higher than they were pre-pandemic. So not only has travel demand recovered, prices have recovered and then some. Expedia says airfares are up a whopping 50% compared to last year. And average hotel rates are nearly 20% higher than they were before the pandemic. Of Hopper's top five trending destinations this year, three are on Florida's Gulf Coast. The Bakers from Birmingham, Alabama, visiting Rosemary Beach, Florida. They say they chose to vacation before the spring break rush, before prices climb even higher. The deals aren't there like they were. They were there, but they were there a year ago. They weren't, they're not there anymore. And you're laughing because <laughs> just everything. It's so much more expensive. This year, three in four American travelers are heading to destinations in the U.S., putting enormous pressure on some of the country's most popular spring break destinations, like Hawaii, Disney and Universal theme parks, and Miami Beach, where the mayor expects tens of thousands of spring breakers to descend on trendy South Beach. Don't come here to thinking you're going to act in a way uh, differently than you would act in your own hometown. Last year, unruly crowds forced city officials to enact a curfew and even declare a state of emergency. The Miami Beach mayor saying he hopes to avoid a repeat this year, even going to court to restrict alcohol sales after 2 a.m. You can't just allow a, a city to careen into disorder. And we know with this many people coming here, uh, that can easily happen if we don't take appropriate measures. Travel experts say there are still some deals out there, but it depends where you go. The best places to get the deals are in urban areas like San Francisco and right there in New York City, guys. Carrie, thank you. Carrie's so legs are out. Come on. It yeah. means it's it. summer. Glad, glad you said it and I did. Yep. Short stop. Here you go. Hit it. Oh, speaking of spring break, we're going to do some spring break temperatures. Where's better to be at spring break? Let's bring that music up and get the tropics going, man. Okay, so Carrie's in Cocoa Beach, right? Yeah. You're in South Padre Island. Which one's nice? What temperature's better today? Cocoa, Cocoa Beach. Beach. Cocoa Beach. Boom, 77, yeah. much nicer. All right, let's head on down to New Orleans, where I know you're going to be. Come on, baby. Order, or San Diego. Who's New better? Orleans, New Orleans, New always, Orleans, always. Out. 76 in New Orleans. <laughs> you're open too. And finally, Cabo San Lucas or Miami Beach. Miami Beach. I'm going with Cabo. Cabo. Uh oh, Miami Beach. Oh, just by one. Loser. 79 no, you degrees. You just came in third. Hey, a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> loser! Loser! Uh, we're looking at, looking at the really Loserville? warm spring. 
<laughs> spring break temperatures. We got this conveyor belt of tropical air from the Gulf Coast to Maine. Weekend highs are going to be 15 to 30 degrees above average. Spring break for everyone. Look at this forecast record highs for 47 cities. Uh, about 80 cities within three degrees of a record. Look at these temperatures today. Omaha near 70, St. Louis 64, Shreveport 79, Denver 71 degrees. Tomorrow that warmth moves to the east. Cincinnati flirting with 80, St. Louis 75, Atlanta 75 degrees. And as we move on into early next week here in the Northeast, records are possible Sunday and Monday. New York, Raleigh, Beckley, Columbia, Savannah, Nashville and Atlanta all the way up to Indianapolis. And then your latest weather. Guys. All right, Al, thanks. Coming up next, your ticket to college basketball's biggest game of the year. No, we're not talking about the national championship. We're talking about the legendary Coach K's final home game at Duke. Ticket prices reaching Super Bowl levels, and we're live this morning on Duke campus. No Cameron Crazy's up this early, huh? Uh, excitement at a fever pitch, though, right after this. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right when you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Morning, Carson. Hello, Carson. Right there. Busy weekend this weekend. All eyes in the sports world are going to be on famed Cameron Indoor Stadium in North Carolina. That is when Dukes is going to host its longtime rival, North Carolina. It'll be the final home game for retiring Hall of Fame coach Mike Krzyzewski. Coach K hanging it up. Uh, fitting in to his last regular season in college basketball. Ticket prices are among the most in demand ever. NBC's Sam Brock managed to get one, though. He joins us from the campus there at Duke. Sam, good morning. Guys, good morning. I got one for today. I don't know about tomorrow, but the electricity inside of Cameron Indoor Stadium is normally electric. Can you imagine what this is going to be like on Saturday when you have five championship banners, guys, in the rafters? I guess you could say that might be justified. This court here is named after Mike Krzyzewski. Coach K Court, he has coached a couple hundred players during his time at Duke. About 80 of them are expected to be here for the game. I talked to you guys, students on campus who were offered $10,000 or more for their seats. They said, ah, oh, I'm not doing it because being here is priceless. For all the banners and basketball lore created at Duke University under head coach Mike Krzyzewski. His message ahead of Saturday's final home game was classic Coach K. I'm sure it'll be emotional but uh, it's going to be about my team. Krzyzewski is the winningest coach in college basketball history. With more than 1,100 victories, five national titles, and 12 Final Fours on his resume, he's now preparing to lead his team onto the court that bears his name for the last time. This is the most special place in college basketball. And, uh, the 75-year-old has done a lot more than just teach X's and O's. The big guys got to then come here. He shaped lives. The managers, the staff, the coaches, the players. And when they leave Duke, they're, they're better people. 
Of the quintet of championship teams, Shane Battier played a starring role in 2001. Do you have a story, Shane, where Coach K challenged you or changed maybe your lens on things? <laughs> He'd call me that summer and he would say, hey, Shane, can you picture you becoming a great player and leading us? And if I hemmed or hawed or hesitated for a second, he'd hang up on me. Excellence was demanded and the culture and campus fed off of Coach K's energy. He has been the face of Duke basketball. Cameron Indoor Stadium truly is the house Coach K built. Students line up in tents just to land a coveted seat. It's called Krzyzewskiville. Probably won't be sleeping the next two nights no. for it, so we'll all be exhausted, but it's definitely worth it. If you have any high hopes of walking through these doors on Saturday, it's a pretty high bar because the cheapest seats online are about three to $5,000. Pricing that feels an awful lot like the Super Bowl. The basketball legend earning that respect, guiding countless players to NBA stardom and grooming an impressive coaching tree. Last year, Coach K opening up on today about what attracted him to basketball in the first place. The reason I got in it was uh, relationships to have an impact on the young men that you have the honor to coach. Regardless of outcome against North Carolina, this is not going to be Coach K's last game. There's the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. And guys, I found out something new on campus. If you want to wait in that 10 city, Krzyzewskiville, you have to pass a test about Duke basketball history just for the right to wait out there wow. in the freezing cold. Sure. They take this seriously. Thank you, Sam. That was cool. Gosh, if I was in college and somebody offered me 10K for a ticket, what I'd would be like, you yeah, take it, take it all, take it all. What a class act that is. Still coming up, guys. Interesting story. There's an SNL star looking to take their career to new heights, and I mean new heights, all the way up into space. We'll have that story for you. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.